and currently, you know, if, if we look at faith and finance, we're caught between two dynamics. On one side, we have a prosperity gospel, name it, claim it, buy the magic handkerchief, you know, you'll be rich. And then on the other side, we have some sort of poverty gospel where all money is, is terrible and, you know, don't even, don't even think about it. And I thought, well, that's just ridiculous. Where's the gospel? And when you bring the Bible back into the equation, you get a much different picture than what is being taught on both of those sides. Welcome to the Legacy Roadmap Podcast, your ultimate guide for creating a lasting legacy as an entrepreneur. Whether you're an ambitious entrepreneur or a seasoned business owner, our podcast offers insightful conversations with successful entrepreneurs and experts who have navigated the path of legacy creation. We explore topics that matter to you, personal responsibility, financial growth, leadership, and succession planning. Our goal? To equip you with practical insights and strategies that help you transition from simply running your business to building a legacy. Join us each week as we delve into purposeful discussions aimed at positively impacting future generations. Your journey towards leaving a lasting legacy starts right here, right now. Let's dive in. Does your business serve homeowners? If so, you need to know about HOA.com, the number one referral network for professionals who serve homeowners. And we're looking for quality contractors and home service pros that we can recommend and refer to homeowners in your area. Not only will you get promoted on the HOA.com website, you'll get business from other certified pros and premier pros in your market. These people serve homeowners every day, so we help you build referral partnerships that keep referrals coming to your business for years to come. Go to HOA.com slash pro now and get started. Are you an entrepreneur or business owner? If so, you need to know about the Achieve Systems Business Building Membership. We are one of the best referral-based communities that wants to refer you. We help generate you thousands of leads per year. We also provide you an incredible mentorship program that has won many awards. We don't stop there. We have 60 plus opportunities to take your business to the next level, like authoring and publishing books and many, many more. Go to AchieveSystemsPro.com and get started today. Do you want to make more money in your business? Most business owners focus on building revenue. That's not enough. Building profits is what feeds your family, and almost no business owner understands how to build profit without building revenue. I can show you with near-perfect accuracy the exact business growth strategies that will generate the most revenue for your business in the shortest amount of time, focused on building profit. Learn more at bizlife.coach. Today's guest is an Amazon best-selling author, radio talk show host, and an entrepreneur excelling in multiple areas of business. Josh Tully has been a guest on CBS, Fox Business, NBC, TBN, The Church Channel, and many others. He's been a successful entrepreneur and business coach for over 20 years, helping hundreds of businesses across a variety of industries, teaching people how to become successful entrepreneurs in today's employment economy. His number one bestseller, Evangelpreneur, has been required reading for business students at top Christian universities in Virginia. His next book, Acquisitional Wealth, now on pre-order, is about to empower thousands with the most strategic and proven ways to increase wealth. Josh Tully joins Robert for a conversation about freedom, faith, and money. 
The church has avoided talking about money and entrepreneurship. True freedom is found when we become the masters of our lives. It is what God created us for, to serve and to honor him to the fullest. We talk about legacy and the impact owning a business can have for multiple generations. Well, Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm excited to have this conversation. Um, you're actually responsible for an entire rebrand of my company. So I wanted to say oh, wow. thank you and dang you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are welcome and you're welcome. Yeah, Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we're just going to dive right in. This book, if you have not read this book, you need to read this book. This book is life-changing and uh so i guess share the story about why you wrote this book <laughs> why is this book yeah. even necessary yeah that's that's a great question so uh i became an entrepreneur way before i became a believer and uh, by like a long shot actually and when i became a believer i thought okay well i love entrepreneurship there's got to be some great teaching out there on how to be a faith-based entrepreneur because the Bible says it's for all instruction, right? So I went to my, at the time, uh, local chain of Christian bookstores, and I'm searching the shelves, and I found some stuff on tithing, which is fine, and I found some get-out-of-debt stuff, which is okay, I guess. But there was nothing really on how to be a faith-based business person. And I thought, well, this is absolutely ridiculous, because faith and business go so well hand-in-hand that if somebody hasn't written this book yet, I'm gonna, and I did. So uh, that's kind of the genesis behind that book. And currently, you know, if, if we look at faith and finance, we're caught between two dynamics. On one side, we have a prosperity gospel, name it, claim it, buy the magic handkerchief, you know, you'll be rich. And then on the other side, we have some sort of poverty gospel where all money is, is terrible and, you know, don't even... Don't even think about it. And I thought, well, that's just ridiculous. Where's the gospel? And when you bring the Bible back into the equation, you get a much different picture than what is being taught on both of those sides. Absolutely. Well, so I came from that ministry side. I, I spent 10 years as a missionary in South America and then 10 years as a pastor of outreach, basically responsible for our church's connection to missionaries around the globe. So I've been to 32 different yeah. countries. I've seen poverty at the at the most extreme levels and yet the interesting challenge is that in every church in every situation in every country the number one issue and number one thing people are dealing with the number one thing they want to change their lives is money and yet yeah. it's the one thing the church seems to be afraid to talk about and certainly yeah. afraid certainly afraid to encourage people to be small business owners well, not only that, we, we actually teach the opposite of what the Bible tells us to do, and it creates more of the problem that we supposedly want to get away from. But at the same time, you bring up a great point. You know, if, if you go to most churches and you just kind of eavesdrop and they do that call for prayer afterwards, if you have 10 people come up for prayer, seven or eight of them are financially backed, really. Like seven or eight of those prayer requests have to do with finances. You let my husband get a new job. Let, you know, let me take care of my aging parents, whatever. And you're thinking, holy cow, man, really, really? And then we're not going to talk about money from, from the pulpit. You got to be, you got to be ridiculous. Jesus did. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then even worse, I think nine of those 
eight prayers, right? 90% of those, those prayers that talk about money, the church could solve if it didn't have a mortgage payment. Right. Right. Oh man. So the church can answer those prayers right there. Oh my gosh. You are so right. Okay. I'm not going to name names, but this is crazy. So I was invited to speak at a church because I get invited to a lot of churches and I'm invited to speak at a church and they're doing this uh, fundraise, but they're not doing a fundraise to actually fix the problem. They're doing a fundraise for a down payment on a brand new entertainment system and, you know, build out the TV stuff. And from stage, I say, you know what? <laughs> it's it's crazy how many people read this book, but it tells us, you know, be the lender, not the debtor. And you know, da, da, da. and the pastor ended up leaving and watching the rest from his office. But it, it it's absolutely <laughs> true story. Uh, but it is absolutely true how we kind of miss what we're supposed to do. And that's not to say all debt is bad either. I mean, that's that's kind of been thrown under the Christian bus. There is a huge difference between business debt and personal debt. If there wasn't, the Bible wouldn't give us instructions on how to lend. It would just say, never do it because right. lending is creating debt. So there's a lot of confusion there too. Well, absolutely. Well, in our culture has certainly become debt loaded, right? Our, from the, from the government's example to, yeah. to the culture's example, to the credit card craze. And, and certainly we've been encouraged. Well, if you can afford the payment, you can afford it. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So, so obviously debt is, is, is one big issue that's, that's enslaving uh -huh. the church and holding people back, but let's dig even deeper. Let's talk about the enslavement of a job. Well, so what's interesting about that is biblically speaking, there's four types of people, right? Masters, labor, servants, and slaves. Masters, the rich guy on the top of the hill, a slave is somebody who is captive, doesn't really have a choice. If my you know, tribe takes over your tribe, I'm taking you. And you know that's just the way that goes. But that leaves us two people in the middle. That leaves us laborers and servants. And biblically speaking, servants and, and slaves were not the same. Which is why in, in the Bible, it tells us you cannot serve God and money. You're going to love one, hate the other, hate one, love the other. It doesn't tell you not to be a slave. Do you know why? Because if you're a slave, you don't have a choice. Right. But servitude, you have a choice, at least when it comes to serving money. So we have to look at biblically what was a servant. A servant worked a 10 to 12 hour day. A servant started that day when the master said so. A servant went home because they could go home or at least to their quarters when the master said so. Well, what time do we get to go home if you're, if you're employed? If there's time to lean, there's time to clean, Robert, right? <laughs> and then if the servant saved up enough money, they could buy their freedom. That's from Genesis to Revelation. Well, today we call that retirement. Oh, honey, right. I could just save up enough money. And then if the servant loved his master, he could go to the city gate, put an all through his ear, take his master's mark and be his for life. Today, we call that tenure and pension. So the biblical definition of serving money is what today is called long-term employment. That's, that's what it is. I'm not, I'm not saying your 16-year-old shouldn't get a job, but we shouldn't be teaching our 16-year-old, go to school, go to college, and get a job for life either. Now, if you look at what a laborer is, a laborer is completely different. That's why Jesus, is, Jesus uses the example of the two guys out in the field, then the other two guys show up and they negotiate the same price. And the first two are like, wait a second, why do those two get what we get? And it's a it's an allegory for heaven and coming to salvation later in life. Got it. 
but he used laborers for a reason. Laborers are what we call today small business owners because they would come to that field and say, okay, look, you want me to work this field? Great. It's going to be X amount of silver pieces. I'm going to start when I want to start. And when I'm done, I'm out of here. You don't get me tomorrow. You're contracting me for a job. And they got to say who, how much, and when. And then if they developed those skills, they could go to the Sea of Galilee and say, okay, well, this week I'm going to mend fishing nets while I hear this new rabbi coming to town. And next week we can go to, you know, that's today a small business owner. Absolutely. Sounds like a subcontractor, right? Typically yeah. you're contracted for a specific duty. And once that duty is complete, unlike a servant who you complete this duty, I've got another one. You complete this exactly. duty, I've got another one. You complete this duty, I've got another one, which is a J-O-B, right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. So obviously our country was founded on the principles of free enterprise and, mm -hmm. and land ownership. And so land ownership and entrepreneurship were at the heart of the founding father's intention for the United States. And, and somewhere we fell off the, the free enterprise wagon. Yeah. Yeah. When, when they figured out we could rent everything and, you know, own nothing and be happy, I guess. Uh, well, and now that's not new even further to, to take away land ownership and, and, and have the government control everything because the government can handle it so well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's been proven false over and over and over again. And, and that's a whole deep dive, you know, like that, that, that's a rabbit hole. Why, why are we the people emphasized uh, at the beginning? Why, why are those big letters? Well, a lot of Christians don't want to admit this, but it's because they took out God. <laughs> it used to be God established this nation. And then, you know, Thomas comes along, puts in his little, you know, bug in, in Jefferson's ear. And then we get, we, the people established this great nation, no longer God. Huh. Isn't that interesting? But rabbit trail. <laughs> Another rabbit trail. Absolutely. So, so let's talk about, obviously, the, the free enterprise system. Why? believers should be business owners, how we can help mm -hmm. empower people to be business owners, to get started. Um, I, I love the way you address the, the, the lie, right? It takes money to make money. And, yeah. and, and you pretty much attack that pretty head on. Yeah, that is, that is such a stupid concept. It takes money to make money. If that was true, we would all be sharing the original $10 bill. What it takes to make money is a little bit of creativity and offering something to somebody who has money that they're willing to give you the money for. And it, it, like to back up one uh, extra step, what even is money? Money isn't actually the thing you're after. Money represents excess profit. That's what it represents. So if, for example, I make a book, you buy the book. If the book costs me $10 to make and you buy it for 18, I make $8. That $8 is excess profit. Well, now all that represents is what I can use in exchange for something else. So you don't need money to get money. You need something to offer to get money. And that's where a lot of people make this mistake. And interestingly enough, you mentioned going to like 30 plus countries. That's more than I've been to, but I've been to South America, Central America, and you see that there's a huge difference down there than here. If you're stopped at a red light here, somebody's going to have a sign that says need money. If you're stopped at a red light in Chile, they're going to perform for you. They're going to juggle. They're going to, you know, clean your window. They're going to, they're going to at least offer you something 
in exchange for saying, hey, give me some money, not just, hey, I'm feeling entitled, give me something. So that there, there, there's a lot of truth to that. But then when you look at the danger of employment and why we should be getting into entrepreneurship anyway, it affects marriage as much as it does this whole idea of master, labor, servant, and slave. If you look at the top four reasons for divorce, you have communication, sex, money, and infidelity. And, you know, you can go to a pastor, a marriage therapist, whatever, and they're going to say, oh, well, you know, we just need to communicate better. Well, why do we have books like the five love languages? There's actually seven. But why do we have books like the five love languages or men are from Mars and women are from Venus? Why do we need a book from a total stranger who's never met you or your spouse to tell you how the person you're sleeping with thinks? <laughs> like, if you think about it, that's insane. Why did grandma not need those books? Why did great grandma not need those books? Why did every woman back to Eve not need those books? It's because well, they spent time with grandpa. <laughs> Careful, Josh. They weren't having sex, though, so it's different. <laughs> Actually, they were having more. I have a book. I have a book from the 60s that says if you're in your 50s and only having sex once or twice a week, you need to see a therapist. And you can go to any marriage therapist today and the 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 let's get it on rate between millennials and marriages is worse than that. That's well, and it, it is, it is. And we're facing a ton of consequences because of it, but that communication element, it really isn't communication. That's the problem. The problem is that the average married couple in this country spends 29 minutes a day together. You're not going to have good communication in 29 minutes. So you need a book. Well, the same thing is true with sex. They tell us women are like crockpots, men are like microwaves. You can't cook nothing in a 29-minute crockpot. So <laughs> it's not really communication, it's employment. It's not really sex, it's employment. And that money issue, let's at least be honest, I've never met a couple that said, you know, hey, why did you two get divorced? Oh, Bill just kept leaving hundreds all over the floor. That, that's not the case. It's either lack of money or mismanagement of money. So the top three reasons for divorce are employment, employment, and employment. And then even if you look at that fourth one, Robert, of infidelity, you, for a long time, I thought, well, that was a heart issue or a spiritual issue until I read the Bible and did some research. It's actually the exact opposite. What happens is a husband and wife will get married. They'll have a wonderful honeymoon. She'll come back and go off to her job. She'll put on her pretty clothes, the perfume, the makeup. She will see a man, be decisive, build a dream, make decisions. She will help him in that process. Where is the number one place women have an affair? Work. The same thing is true for men. He'll go to work where some woman will see him be a man, make decisions, you know, all that sort of stuff. And she'll just get me, right? And where's the number one place men have an affair? Work. Well, I thought the Bible said flee temptation. You are more likely to have an affair at work than if I dropped you off at a strip club and I'm not kidding. And then they come home and in those wonderful 29 minutes together, they rag on each other. Oh, why didn't you pick out, you know, the kids clothes for tomorrow? Why didn't you take out the garbage? What she's really saying is, why can't you be like the man I spend 50 hours a week with? That's wow. what she's saying. We'll be right back after this short break. Do you need an increase in revenue? We help business owners find 100K in 90 days and create a roadmap for implementation. There's no pressure, just a chance to get some assistance and clarity. Scheduling is easy. Simply visit 
ownitcall.com and select a time that works for you. It's time for you to focus on doubling the 20% that creates 80% of your revenue. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. And then the kids leave and we're like, well, I don't feel like I know you anymore because you don't. 29 minutes a day together over 18 years, you've spent about nine months with her. You don't know her. So top four reasons for divorce, employment, 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 and employment. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so so my shift really happened with that Proverbs 13, 21, and 22. And, you know, being a grandfather now, it it hit me pretty hard, right? Because I'm one of those broke Christians and and I was working for the church. <laughs> And so 20 years in ministry being broke and then starting my entrepreneurial journey pretty much in a, in a giant hole that I'm still working to, to fill. But ultimately I'm not just trying to take care of my situation. I should be trying to take care of my children and my children's children. That's wealth. That's generational wealth. And, and that's a big responsibility, but it's clearly the mandate that the father has given us and we're not talking about it anywhere. One, we're not talking about it. Two, we think it's a suggestion. He didn't suggest it. And, and then three, we have a tendency to say, well, it's talking about a spiritual inheritance for your children and your children's children. No, it's not. Keep reading the sentence. And it says, because the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. Well, that means your spiritual inheritance has to come from the wicked. That doesn't even make sense as a sentence. No, it is talking about money, honey. We just don't yeah. want to talk about it. Well, and for me, the legacy is bigger than that, right? It is a legacy of leadership. It is leaving yeah. an expectation where my business can become my children's. My legacy of faith can become my children's and my grandchildren's. My leadership can become my children and my my grandchildren's. And so there are other aspects beyond the money, but the money's at the root of it all because money's the problem solver. And so many people want to argue against that. Obviously God's the problem solver. God absolutely is in control. He's in, he's in, he's in the power seat, but he's using money to solve the problems. When the church has a problem, like you talked about the sound system, when the church needs a sound system, they're not asking God, Hey God, just drop a sound system on the front yard. No, they're asking the congregation, bring more money. And, and so every problem the church is solving, they're solving it with money. And so why are we pretending that money doesn't make solve problems, right? Uh, because we've been we've been lied to. We've been lied <laughs> to. The the devil only has one trick. If if you notice, he's only got one one thing: convince us what God said it means something else. That's all he's mm-hmm. got. That's what he did to Job. That's what he did to Adam and Eve. That's what he did to Jesus out in the wilderness, or at least tried to do. The only thing he has is convincing you that God didn't mean what he said, or it means mm-hmm. something different. And so that's powerful. where we get this thing totally, totally backwards because you'll say money's not important and then go to bed crying because you don't have any money or you'll cry because, you know, you see a hungry child and you can't feed them. Well, we have to get over this idea of, well, God will provide because he will, but he provides for you in the same way he provides for a sparrow. A sparrow doesn't get to sit in the nest and all of a sudden, poof, bird food shows up in its gut. He has to go out and get what God provided. Well, so do we. So do we. And we don't think we have to do that. And a case in point is even when the the Hebrews left uh, Egypt, 
He didn't say to them, hey, money's not important and I got this, so leave it all here. He said, take yours and take theirs. Take it all. Well, if money's not important, what's that about? But then we see for 40 years, they didn't just wander around in the desert. They traded with the other people. They were entrepreneurs. And that entrepreneurship led the other people to hear of their God, which is why those dudes who took the Ark of the Covenant took it back to the king. And the king was like, no, Jack, you take that thing back to those people. We don't want anything to do with stealing that. Well, how do you know it? Because they were engaged in commerce together. And this is why other cultures and hats off to them. But this is why other cultures are killing us when it comes to business. The average the average Jewish dollar change hands 10 to 12 times inside the Jewish community before it leaves the Jewish community into the general American population. The average Muslim dollar is 12 to 14 times before it leaves that community into the general um, American population. The Christian dollar is zero times, zero times. Instead, we're like, well, Prime has free shipping. Well, <laughs> and then it's we wonder why. It's, that's heartbreaking. Like it, it breaks my heart that Christians don't want to do business with other Christians. We don't want to have community with each other. And, and really we don't encourage the marketplace ministry where, where, where we should be interacting, where we should be hanging out because you know what, you're the, you become like the five people you're spending the most time with. And who are you spending the most time with? The people at work that don't believe in your God. Well, exactly. And to make it even worse, we tend to think in Christianity that some of our congregation is entrepreneurs and they're in marketplace ministry. If you go to a Jewish temple or a, a Muslim mosque, there is no such thing as the Jewish marketplace ministry. If you're Jewish, you're going to buy your shoes there, your doctor's that person, the food place is that one. Same thing if you're a Muslim. And we try to create it as a separate thing almost. Whereas these other, these other demographics are just like, no, why would we spend our money with anybody else when we have an option? They only go outside of their circle if there's not currently an option. And even when they do that, do you know what they're working on? Buying an option. So then that money comes back into that circle. And again, hats off to them. They're doing a great job. I'm not trying to say, you know, bad them, but Bible believers should be doing the exact same thing. Oh, absolutely. And, and doing it with pleasure instead of this, this need for, you know, we call our brother when we want a discount, we want it a little cheaper. Right. We want it a little, you know, Hey, hook me or up. We want it for free because I'm a Christian too. <laughs> <laughs> so prior to reading your book, I, I got into entrepreneurship because I knew there was something missing. I knew there was a piece missing, right? It, in, in Columbia, we tried to, to, trains and do some business training and help people start businesses. And I just wasn't equipped for it. I didn't have, didn't have the tool set. And I felt like the church is so caught up in the salvation message that they miss Jesus saying in John 10, 10, that I came to give them life and I give it to them abundantly. And now when people talk about the abundant life, they jump straight to that prosperity gospel and they jump straight to, no, no, yeah. God doesn't want us to have no, 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 no. That's, that's scary. Right. And like you said, it's the, it's the two extremes rather than finding this place <laughs> in the middle, that's more in alignment with what God said and the way God talked about money. Clearly, I believe the parable of the talents is talking about using your gifts and talents, talents, using your, your options to create more options. It's very much a financial statement. Clearly he says, if you, you know, oh, yeah. if you just put it in the bank, it would have earned interest 
financial terms, but he was also using the term talent, which is a, you know the skills and translates back to just idea of God has gifted each one of us with a purpose and intent to impact other human beings' lives, right? We were created to help each other. We're created to serve each other. We were each given that purpose. And when you find it and you align it and you use it to solve problems, you get compensated like the sparrow going out and finding the food. Exactly. Exactly. And and to use your talent thing, notice how the insult was. You could have at least put it in the bank and got interest. That's the insult. And people don't catch that. But God is saying that's at least the dumb thing to do. But you're <laughs> right. right. You did the worst thing. Yes. Yes. So, but that that whole idea of, of you know, talents, it's really interesting. If, if you become really good at something and offer that to the general population at a good price and do basic business stuff, do you know what's going to come from that? Money. <laughs> so there's just this, there's this logical gap between what we're taught and then the reality of how money actually works. The financial literacy amongst most believers is absolutely crazy. They get some of the get out of debt, gazelle step one sort of thing. But the actual how money works, there's no education on that in most churches. There's no education for that in our country. Like, oh, true, true. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely true. The churches, the churches abdicated it, but but nobody else is teaching it either. And that's the real sadness is that's why we're being enslaved to this corporate monster. But but there's a difference because the church should be teaching it because it frees my people, let my people go. We know why the schools aren't teaching it. As a matter of fact, hold on. I have a textbook from 1929, right? This is a seventh grade math textbook. This is the last textbook before we taught kids to become employees. So prior to 1929, we were mostly entrepreneurs with some employees. After 19, after the, the Great Depression, we get shovel-ready jobs, the New Deal, and the scale flips. We become mostly employees with some entrepreneurs. So what did we teach 12-year-olds, 7th graders, in 1929? How to start your business and pay your laborers. We actually taught them in Christian schools, unless you're the idiot, you're going to leave school and own a business. Now we teach the exact opposite. Go to school, go to college, get good grades, get a job, and only those D students, those weirdos over there are going to go start a business, which is why now the reality is A students work for B students who are managed by C students and D students own the place. <laughs> Well, and you talked about the four types, right? And I, I, I believe having studied, read your book, been in scripture my whole life, God created us to be masters. God created us to be business owners. He created us to control our destiny. And we, you know, freedom is being thrown around through the church, right? We, freedom, spiritual freedom. We have the freedom to express our faith. But true freedom is much bigger than that. True freedom is really the freedom to make your own choices, the freedom to control right. your time, the freedom to control your, your family and the activities that you participate in. And we've given up that freedom. The church has given up that freedom to employers. Well, not only that, you know, we, we see all the time how Christians and largely Christian conservatives love to ridicule these liberal lunatic sort of people and say, oh, well, college is just full of safe spaces with puppies, blankets, and cookies. But <laughs> well, if we're going to be honest about it, 
That's what church has become. Church has become an emotional hospital, and it is a conservative safe place because we have puppies, cookies, and coffee out in the lobby. And we come here because they recognize my giftings. And if they don't, then this church is bad and I'm leaving. Yeah, no, it's a conservative safe space. We, we got to adult up a little bit and say church, the building of church is not where you express your giftings. It's, come, it's where you get your marching orders. And business is where you express those giftings. Oh, this is so powerful, right? Because if the church, if the church were fueling her people and invigorating them for their Monday through Friday impact in the world and business owners making an impact, changing people's lives through business, introducing people to Jesus through transactions, through, through doing business with people and serving them in a better way, that's a much more powerful transmission of the gospel than, than this, oh, come to my little hospital and feel safe. <laughs> Well, right. And, and the proof is in the pudding, which is why Christianity is not the fastest growing religion, why, why it's those other religions that we're talking about. And even Judaism, so many people are now converting to Judaism that the Jewish people are going, what is going on? But there's a reality to this because Jesus said the world around you is not real. If you don't understand the, the earthly, you're not going to understand the heavenly. Well, Christianity is showing we don't understand the earthly. So why would non-believers believe us when it comes to the heavenly? Ooh. Wow. So, so powerful. So powerful. So we talked earlier about business. We didn't really get into how do we help start a business? How do we get somebody started? Yeah. We talked about not having enough money was, was one of those lies from, from Satan. And there's, there's tons of others we've already uncovered and, and, and directly, you know, talked about how he, basically manipulates God word, God's word to make us believe something false. And, and now we're stuck in this basically progression of, of lies about money, about God and about what he expects. But if he expects us to start businesses, what do we need to do? How do we make that happen? Well, to be honest, I wouldn't even suggest mo most people start businesses. I would suggest most people buy them. And this is the other thing that we've been totally lied about. It is extremely hard to start a business and get it to successful period, let alone financially prosperous. Eight out of 10 businesses won't even make it, period. Now you take those 2% that make it and less than one-tenth of 1% 1 will become financially prosperous. So instead of putting $50,000 into starting something with a 90% chance that it's not going to get you to where you want to go, that, that'd be like, Robert, if there's a 90% chance of rain tomorrow, are we going to plan on golfing? Probably not. No, but we're going to work really hard for our serving money job. Then we're going to put that into starting a business with a 90 plus percent failure rate, 80% right out of the gate. I mean, that's just, that's just ridiculous. Whereas if you put $50,000 down a $500,000 business, that $500,000 business is going to make you $125,000, $150,000 a year. You are now instantly out of your job. You popped up two income brackets and all it took was saying, hey, I want to buy that business that's already existing. And we're not teaching that. So even when we try, we try to start from the worst possible position. Wow, that's powerful. So the challenge is how do we, we've, we've got to create a community that equips Christians, prepares them for these buying businesses and then create the marketplace where we're, we're, we're out hunting these businesses and brokering these transactions to get our brothers and sisters into their own businesses. 
Yeah, I actually have a company called Kingsbridge that does that. That's that's what <laughs> Kingsbridge does. And the the entire story behind the the name of the company was the fact that I was trying to come up with a name and I really was uh, kind of angry at BlackRock, which is a whole nother <laughs> evil on a stick sort of story. So I was I was going to say, OK, I'm going to help people buy these businesses. I've been doing that since 1995. Since 95, I've been starting buying, flipping, growing, selling, brokering deals. Right. And I thought, OK, this is this is ridiculous. I hate what BlackRock is doing. I'm going to call my company Redstone, Red for the blood of Jesus and Stone just because they're a rock. And let's let's go at it. Right. And God kept telling me, no, 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 no. you're going to call it Kingsbridge. I've called my people to be kings and priests. I've laid up the wealth, the wealth of the wicked for the righteous. Now I just need somebody to help them bridge to where I laid up. So we are creating a bridge for the kings. Mm. Love that. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, but it's it, it's true with almost every single business. Almost every single business idea would be smarter, faster, cheaper to actually buy one as opposed to try to start one. Mm. Yeah, so good. All right, Josh, this has been fantastic. I just want to say like Proverbs 13, 21 and 22 just changed, you know, my business and, and really helped me focus on helping business owners leave legacy and focus bigger on, on, on legacy and, and creating legacy for their family. So I want to thank you for writing Vanderpreneur, for teaching uh, about, you know, bringing people back to the Bible, finding truth in the freedom of faith, family, and, and true freedom of free enterprise. So thank you. Um, we end every episode with our guests sharing their words of wisdom for the audience listening. So for those seeking to leave a legacy, what would you encourage them? Uh, I would encourage them that if any of this message hurt, good. Uh, I'm glad uh, we should not be seeking things that tickle our ears and make us feel warm and fuzzy. If you look at the Bible, everybody who was called by God to do something didn't want to do it. Adam and Eve didn't want to do it. David didn't want to do it. Jonah didn't want to do it. Jesus himself didn't want to do it. He was in the garden praying, Father, if this, this cup can pass from me. So don't be thinking, well, obviously what I'm supposed to do is going to feel good. Nope. What you're supposed to do is probably going to scare the bejeebies out of you and know that that's where God meets you because that's what requires faith. You don't need any faith if it's going to feel good. You need faith when it scares you and you need to say, okay, God, you need to accompany me on this. So just press into that and then uh, look around you and see what, see what God has for you. There is no Hebrew word for coincidence, which means to God, there isn't any. <laughs> you were supposed to listen to this show. Now it's up to you to do something with it. Josh, thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate you. Appreciate all, you, all that you're doing and, and the impact you're making. Thank you, sir. God bless. Thank you for tuning into this episode brought to you by the power of intentional decisions that lead to massive action. These aren't just buzzwords, they're qualities that can help you take control of your life and build a successful six or seven figure business. To support you on this journey, we're offering one of our most popular books, Fish Out Leads In, 52 Fresh Ideas for Lead Generation. You can download it free at enjoybizlife.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please show us some love by liking, subscribing, and leaving a review. But most importantly, 
share it with someone who needs to hear it. In our next episode, Michael Fitzhughes and Robert talk about family and business and how the challenges they faced in life created the opportunities for building businesses. Changing how their family cleaned created an opportunity to help others get more toxic chemicals out of their homes. Seeing the power of relationships and storytelling opened up the world of podcasting.